Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noelle Cordeaux. We are the founders of Journey Coaching. We're super passionate about all things coaching and want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training over a thousand life coaches. Dive deep into a more meaningful career, find freedom, and make an impact on the world around you. On today's episode, something that I have struggled with uh, for most of my life and still do and I believe that Noelle has not, but let's ask her, do you struggle with negativity bias? I do not. I knew it. I knew it. I knew that <laughs> we're opposite in everything. Um, this is probably one of the, the, the greatest things that I struggle with. Yeah. So let's talk about negativity bias. And I can, I can pull the wool back a little bit because everybody is subject to negativity bias, but based right. on nature, nurture, where yeah. we fall naturally on the scale of optimist or pessimist, um, our social environments, our our hometown, the cities that we live in, all have a tremendous influence mm. on how we experience this phenomenon. Yeah, for me, it's uh, nurture. That was the big one, you know, parents and growing up parents and growing up and and well before we get into it because i have lots of thoughts um let's talk about what negativity bias is yeah it is an evolutionary trait that causes our brains to naturally notice focus on and become very aware of negative things instead of positive things right right would you say that most people struggle with this or no Yes, most people yeah. do, in fact, struggle with this because as humans evolved, our survival depended on avoiding danger, and it still does. But right. for most adults, it's really impossible to physically outrun the things that trouble us, and that's how our bodies and brains are, are meant to deal with this. So think about you know, the caveman days. Oh, there's a charging woolly mammoth. I should I should run. And right. you're, you run, you expend energy, you avoid danger, and then your body returns to a state of homeostasis. Now, in 2021, we're stuck with this evolutionary cycle where, you know, oh, I'm on the street. I see someone who's different than me. I feel fear. I feel bias. And then you're in your head. Um, and in, we can't physically outrun a ruminating mind. This is why I have very deep furrows. In between my mm. eyes, I call them Marky Marks. He's got deep ones too. Um, I think mine came from uh, my parents. My uh, and, and and if I kind of like uh, look at their story, it helps me understand, you know, because they came from poverty and war and all that. But um, growing up in the '80s, uh, my dad would always come home, and it was always this panic, and we're not going to have uh, enough money to pay the bills, and we're in debt. How much did we sell? It was that every day. And so uh, he wasn't aware of it, uh, but he he uh, passed down his negativity bias, uh, you know, his disdain, tainted lenses onto um, onto me. And the way that I coped with it was I just went outside and, and played and got into things like skateboarding. It was my only way of because um, I couldn't handle it, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, all this uh, doom. And, you know, if we're going to be able to, <laughs> to make it. Absolutely. And, you know, from an intergenerational perspective, I think that's really important to kind of, you know, pull back and, and realize and actualize. And there's two things at play. 
So number one is um, nurture versus nature, the environment that you grew up in, the city that mm-hmm. you live in, and then also your happiness set point. Some people are naturally skewed towards optimism. Some people mm, are naturally yeah. skewed towards pessimism. Um, if I lived in the caveman days, I probably wouldn't have survived because yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't notice the charging woolly mammoth. I'd be no. like, ooh, a flower. <laughs> right. You would want to um, uh, pet pet the, the tigers instead of run from them. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, the reason that I think that I'm – less impacted by negativity bias isn't because I I didn't have the same social structural uh, norms that you did. I actually had a, a, a kind of similar upbringing, not with the same intensity, but I remember my dad talking about his relationship with anxiety and depression, and he calls it running at the wall. Mm. And he would say, you know, <laughs> life is tough and then you die. You just have to get up every day and run at the wall. And I was like, oh God, that sounds terrible. And so I kind of did the same thing. I went outside and I played and I really indulged in imagination land. Um, I'm also somebody who's not really attached to the earth. Like I'm a space cadet, let's Mm. be real. And so my natural affect really skews heavily towards optimism and I don't really have that much spatial awareness. So when you can Combine the two, ah, negativity bias doesn't really seep in. Yeah, but there's also a difference between negativity bias um, and depression, right? Those are very different. So um, you, you you're definitely a, a positive, optimistic person. I think you're just wired that way. Um, but depression is something different because you have struggled with that. I have struggled with depression, a hundred percent. And returning to my natural affect. Um, was really one of the things that helped me overcome it. And the process was through the inducement of positive emotions, mm. um, which which is the antidote to negativity bias. So, you know, clinical depression um, is very serious and should be treated by a, a medical practitioner, which I was and did. And also when I recovered, I began to learn about what had impacted me so gravely, how my brain and body works, which is what led me to positive psychology and neurobiology. And the, those sciences were life changing for sustaining health, for sustaining a life that is free of depression. And so, you know, when we look at coaching, when we look at positive psychology, it's the bookends of acute care. So what happens before you reach an acute state and what happens after and how can we sustain health and well-being? Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. Um, if you struggle with negativity bias, um, or maybe you don't struggle with it that, but there's still residue from it. I know for me, I'm much better today. Um, but, but it took, I mean, I'm 47, so it took a long time and and you really have to practice positivity. Uh, what would be the answer to, uh, to recondition yourself, uh, to not dip, you know, to not go back to thinking the, uh, the, the, the world's going to end or the sky's going to fall and living in that panic state. Oh yeah. So step one is understanding that negativity bias exists, mm-hmm. understanding that it impacts you, that it impacts everyone and understanding where it comes from. It comes from a protective place. Our brain's 
are beautifully designed and they, they, they want to protect us. They want us to survive. And so therefore your brain is just going to draw your mind's eye to anything that can harm you so that you're aware of it. In essence, that's really wonderful, but yeah. in impact, uh, it causes some problems. So what happens when we get into these negative lenses, these negative mindsets, is that instead of being able to access our prefrontal cortex, which is our neocortex, the newest part of our brain, our logic center, we live with negative emotions in our limbic system, which is our emotional brain, which has the same level of consciousness as horses and apes. And that juxtaposition, when we're not able to access our neocortex, um, it gets in the way of our ability to develop insight and to find solutions to problems and completely derails focus. Yeah, I love what you said because um, generally uh, if you can investigate and find out where something comes from, you create distance, right? You um, have a less chance of internalizing. And for me, uh, it wasn't just the, the you know, uh, the negativity bias um, looking at the negative and, 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 and having a struggle and, and seeing the positive. It wasn't just that. It was then internalizing it and telling myself that I'm a negative person. So the, the shame mm. behind that. And I think that's where it could get really dangerous. Yeah. And so we can play around with mindfulness here, right? So um, observing our thoughts and feelings. Oh, look, my mind just noticed something that might be trying to kill me. How mm -hmm. cool is that? Let's assess it. Um, appraising an emotion is a really wonderful way and a coaching tool that we can use with ourselves, with our clients, with our families, with our kids to figure out what's really going on here and do I need to give this thing my attention you know, right now? So um, John, what's an example of something that really bugs you or sets you off or triggers you? Um. I would say with people, uh, friends who are constantly like 30, 40 minutes late every time we meet. Okay. So people being late is something that will peak your negativity bias. Yeah. It makes me want to leave. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So guys, what I'm doing here is, is, is a coaching technique. I'm, I'm sourcing John's um, triggers. So we need to, in order to get in front of negativity bias and how it functions in our life, we need to first source those emotions. Where do they come from? They're typically either internal or external. And in this instance, we're talking about an external trigger, which comes from the outside world. It comes from our senses. And for John, it's people being late. Yeah. So, all right. So then when we're appraising this emotion, if you're sitting there with it and you're starting to fume and you're getting angry and you're starting what's called um, the, the negativity spiral or the ruminating mind, what we need to know here is that emotions take the shape of waves and they set, they peak, and if we don't catch them, they keep going into mm -hmm. a crazy gnarly spiral. But if right. we catch them right at the peak, then they dissipate and fade away. So how do we do this? Um, a great appraisal question and coaching tool is whatever it is, will it matter in one year from now? Right. I mean, yeah, the answer is no. 
The answer is no. So, you know, sitting there and saying, okay, you know, this isn't going to matter a year from now. Um, Got it. So that's how we appraise, is this thing of consequence? And then the next question from there is, well, if that's true, how much power do you want to give this thing over your lived experience, your mood in the moment? I don't want to give it uh, any power. Okay. So then just the act of naming, of appraising, of engaging in that cognitive reasoning trips your prefrontal cortex into functioning and bam you're out of your limbic brain and you're not in a negative funk. So would I um, stay there, practice compassion and kind of deal with it and, and, and uh, every time the friend is late, uh, adjust to the friend or do I at some point have a conversation or not show up? Well, there's a whole other side to the coin here. And so on one side of the coin, we have negative emotions. And on the other side of the coin, we have positive emotions. Mm -hmm. And they function and show up really, really differently. So negative emotions are sticky and they're icky. They shut off our thinking brain and they're hard to get rid of. Um, Positive emotions are really subtle and they're pulsing, and we have to really work to notice them and keep them with us. So Mm -hmm. it is physically impossible to experience a negative emotion and a positive emotion at the same time. And so what we just identified was this span of time where, where John peaks into negativity land, right? It's an experience of somebody else being late, which you're in LA, let's face it, that happens every day. Um, and so here we have this moment of will this matter in a year from now? Do I want to give my energy to it? If the answer is no, well, then what do you want to replace that negative emotion with from the positive side of things? Right. So So put yourself in that position. What would you, if you're sitting at a coffee house, somebody's running late, you decide you don't want to give your power to negativity, what could you replace it with? Um, using that time to um, maybe, uh, uh, you know, catch up on emails, <laughs> actually work, using that time instead of just sitting there um, stewing, uh, going for a walk, doing something where um, I don't feel that someone is taking my time. Instead, I'm using that time for me. Absolutely. You want to know what I do hmm. in moments like that? Um, I play a game with myself. And it's a loving kindness meditation where Mm. you look at everybody around you, um, every living thing, kids, plants, other humans, adults, and you in your head, because everybody would think I was really crazy if I did it out loud, you wish them um, that they thrive to their fullest ability in life. Yeah, it's hard to do that if you struggle with negativity bias to pray for others. <laughs> but I see that I see the power in that, right? So instead of um, sitting there stewing, um, yeah, uh, uh, looking at other people and wishing them well, uh, practicing kindness, basically. Yeah, and that's actually a meditation. Mm-hmm. So you're enhancing your neural capacity and building your meditative muscles, your awareness muscles by shutting out thoughts and focusing truly and deeply on offering um, loving kindness you know, in the moment to folks as you go. So it's kind of a one-two punch, but that's what I do. So yeah. you know, take it or leave it. Um, when we're working with clients on this, there are, we, we talked about external triggers, which everybody has outside sources, traffic, noise, clutter, um, 
people being late, we need to help our clients source, okay, what are our external triggers? Because we all have very unique external triggers. And then the other source of, of um, triggers for negativity bias is internal. And this is your inner critic. Um, and John, this is what I've heard you refer to a lot as the voice of the pseudo self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and that, that's usually the, the louder voice as well. What is the voice of the pseudo self? How does it manifest? What does that mean? The pseudo self is the, the side of you, the part of you um, that uh, seeks a, a lot of approval, validation that has been conditioned by society, uh, parents. It's a thundering voice that we usually listen to because we don't have a sense of self. Um, but if you have a strong sense of self, then you start listening to your solid self. And that's what um, pe people call the authentic self, the, you know, your truth. And usually we don't listen to that because we're scared. And so we have to, and it's a, so it's a whisper. And so listening to that side of you instead of the, the pseudo side. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And so, you know, when we're talking about this from a coaching perspective, this is the type of discovery that goes into working with clients, especially early on in a coaching relationship, really learning your client, learning their external triggers, learning their internal triggers, and really specifically is getting your client first to notice what that voice sounds like, mm -hmm. what that voice says really specifically, and to lay out and identify the words and phrases or messages that are on repeat. So when they show up, we can call it out and say, no, thank you, negative internal pseudo self voice. I don't want that message today. Um, and that act alone of naming is what trips our prefrontal cortex functioning in and gets us out of our limbic brain. Yeah. I mean, it sounds simple and it makes sense, but very few actually practice it. And I think that's where, um, I know at least for me, that's where I dropped the ball is the, the actual daily practice of this. So um, it becomes conditioned, you know, because it's not something you just do once and suddenly you know, you're good. Uh, it's something you, you have to kind of practice every day of your life. And some days it's easy and some days it's hard. Oh, some days it's easy and some days it, it's hard. And, and it really depends on what's going on for you. You know, as much as I, I naturally lean towards optimism, there have been times in my life where I have just been absolutely racked with anxiety and the ruminating mind, and I've not been able to get out of it. And I pull out every single technique in my toolkit and I throw it at myself and mm -hmm. I still struggle. And yeah. that's when I call my therapist. Yeah. <laughs> We all um, we all have that red button encased in glass that sometimes that we have to you know hit right. So that may be a therapist. Um, for me, sometimes I need to just go out and do something active or physical, uh, you know, before I could start um, working on praying for people and, and practicing loving and kindness. Sometimes I need to actually just get out of my head by you know going for a run or getting on my motorcycle or doing something like that. That helps me a lot. That's oh, my yeah. breaking the glass. And once again, you're right in lockstep with the research, you know, thinking about that evolutionary capacity, the way that humans were meant to get away from negativity bias was to physically outrun the damn thing. Right. So when you get out of your head, when you change up your environment, when you engage in an activity, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. It might be easier just for me to leave Los Angeles. 
<laughs> well, instead, instead of being a instead of being a kind person and all that, because I don't have a heart, just to leave LA, that might be the simple solution for me. I but anyway, mean, I, yeah, I uh, I I think that that could be its own series. You know, John surviving outside of Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't survive. Um, guys, think about the the negativity bias, uh, the amount of it you have or don't have, and what you're going to do to start uh, start fighting it. You know, start dissolving it. And also, if this shows up a lot in your relationship, if you're in one, um, think about how it's impacting the other person. You know, mm. uh, are you taking someone hostage because you guys share a space? You know, yeah, and have those conversations. Teamwork makes dream work, especially yeah. when we're dealing with our emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the reminder, Noel. And guys, be well. You got it. Yep. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to journey.co slash everything to explore a new career that brings fulfillment, gives you a true sense of purpose, and a strong community to do it in. We created Journey Coaching to equip you with the tools, training, and community you need to attain your goals. Join Journey Coaching and begin your journey towards personal freedom and a transformative state of growth today. That's jrni.co slash everything.